Thank you. A born-again Christian. What thoughts or feelings or associations come to mind when you hear that phrase, a born-again Christian? Well, in um, the second half of the 20th century, many Christians around the world began to describe themselves as born-again. I am a born-again Christian. Uh, A few weeks back, you may remember, Steve McKinnon came to talk to us about Prison Fellowship International, a global ministry begun by one of the Watergate conspirators, conspirators, Chuck Colson. And Chuck entitled his 1975 memoir, Born Again, describing his conversion to Christianity at that point in his life when he was facing arrest and imprisonment for obstruction of justice as one of Richard Nixon's infamous hatchet men. President Jimmy Carter, not long afterwards, was uh, the first U.S. president ever to describe himself as a born-again Christian, although, of course, he wasn't by any means the first Christian president of the United States. And in the 1980 U.S. presidential election... All three candidates, the, the Republican, uh, Ronald uh, McDonald, I mean, um, Ronald Reagan, um, the incumbent Democrat, Jimmy Carter, and the independent, John B. Anderson, they all declared themselves to be born-again Christians. Well, a generation later, perhaps that, that phrase is now a little bit shop-soiled. Uh, not so many people so enthusiastically describe it themselves as born-again Christians at the moment. Um, but in its day, perhaps the point of the phrase seemed to be to make a description, uh, make a sorry, distinction, perhaps between on the one hand the nominal churchgoer for whom faith was perhaps more private and compartmentalized, ever-present pew warmer on Sunday, but practical atheist the other six days, against someone who was far more open and passionate and evangelistic in their faith. A true God-bothering Bible basher. A born-again Christian. What does the phrase mean? Well, we are working our way at the moment through a series of sermons on applied redemption. We are thinking theologically and biblically about how people come to faith in Jesus Christ. What happens to them? Last week, we considered calling, and that gave us an opportunity to consider the nature of the gospel message. What makes a gospel proclamation a gospel proclamation? And we thought last week about how God chooses to speak or call his people to himself as they hear the gospel and take it to heart. Well, this week, we are considering regeneration. Regeneration, being born anew, born again, born of God. Regeneration may be defined as an act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us so that we are, spiritually speaking, born again. Regeneration uh, is, in a sense, it's part of the calling process, the thing we looked at last week. Calling, as you may remember, required a human agency. The voice of God 
heard through a Christian, through um, human speech or words. Regeneration, in contrast, is totally a work of God without human agency. Now, regeneration is a theological word. In actual fact, you won't find it in the Bible. Uh, But as we will see, the Bible teaches the idea using phrases such as born again, born anew, or born of God. So then, at the start of his gospel, John writes, John chapter 1, verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Born of God in contrast to children born of natural descent. This is a supernatural birth. This is a spiritual birth. Born of God. In contrast to a human decision or a husband's will, this is born by the will of God. Born by God's decision, God's choice. And, of course, The prophets of the Old Testament foresaw this. We were, at the beginning, created as living beings, soul creatures, might be one way of putting it, but flesh and blood were unable in themselves to overcome temptation and sin. A new creation was required if we were ever to be able to please God. And in Ezekiel 36, which Hannah has just read to us, God himself announces the cure. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And the prophet Jeremiah announced in chapter 31, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their heart. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. So then, um, in in the the gospel passage, which Hannah read to us, when, when Jesus is, is speaking to, to Nicodemus, a teacher of Israel, 
Jesus has every right to be surprised that Nicodemus doesn't know what he's talking about. How can you not know what I'm talking about? How can Nicodemus not understand that he must be born again? This is about spiritual rebirth. John 3, 6, flesh gives birth to flesh. But the spirit gives birth to spirit. The flesh is incapable of giving birth to spirit. No, it must be the spirit, the Holy Spirit, who gives birth to that which is spiritual. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound. But you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And Paul teaches um, in his letter both to the Ephesians and then also Colossians, he teaches us that we were dead in our sins and in the uncircumcision of our flesh, living as though the satisfaction of our appetites and desires was the ultimate good. We were dead in our transgressions and trespasses, but God made us alive in Christ, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgression. It is by grace that we have been saved. Saved by grace, through faith. And this not something that originated with us. No, rather it is the gift of God. Not by good works, as though we could boast, but rather for good works, prepared in advance by God for us to do. So to James, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. And Peter, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And a little bit later, for you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And effective calling, calling, which we looked at last week, is God speaking powerfully and effectively through human preachers. Regeneration is God the Holy Spirit working in us, making us spiritually alive, which is, of course, to say, really alive. So I guess really the key point is this. Ultimately speaking, my faith in Jesus Christ is evidence that God has chosen me. Not that I had the wit or wisdom to choose God. Insofar as any of us have saving faith, it is because it is the gift of God. His choice, his decision, his grace. So we've probably now heard and seen enough uh, for us to be able to say the following things about what it means to be born again. Firstly, every single Christian is born again. In John's first epistle, John writes, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. There are no Christians that aren't born again. If you're not born again, you're not a Christian. Being born again means essentially just that you do genuinely and truly believe in Jesus. 
That's all. Secondly, regeneration is different to being baptized in or with or by the Holy Spirit. Being born again is not the same thing as being filled with, baptized in, or by the Holy Spirit. This is important because some Christians, eager to point out that they've been filled with the Holy Spirit, use the phrase born again to flag that. But of course, biblically, Holy Spirit baptism is different. It's a different thing to being born again, and we'll look at that specifically on another day. Holy Spirit baptism, or being filled with the Holy Spirit, is something that actually happens after conversion. In contrast, regeneration is something that happens before conversion, and is a necessary precondition to conversion, if by conversion we mean the decision to follow Jesus. And uh, we'll look at conversion in that sense. We'll look at conversion uh, next week. Um, uh, conversion equals faith plus repentance. That's what we'll uh, look at next week. I'm sorry, I misspelled repentance. It's got an A, not an E. There we are. Uh, Never was much good at spelling. So we'll look at that next week. Let's now, this week, look at what the Bible has to say about how regeneration is manifest. What does it look like when somebody is regenerate? Um, In what follows, I I won't always use Bible references because we're going to fly through this, but each manifestation is attested to scripturally um, uh, very clearly. So what does a regenerate person look like? Well, of course, we've already heard some things that tell us about the born-again Christian, what they're like. Firstly, they believe in Jesus. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, anyone who declares Jesus is Lord is manifesting. They're manifesting the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. The unregenerate person is essentially theophobic, afraid of God, frightened of God. They turn away from God and the things of God routinely and instinctively. And many of us who perhaps came to faith in Jesus Christ as adults, we can remember this with great clarity, what it was like. Christians were embarrassing and to be avoided at all costs. Church was a ridiculous idea where people did ridiculous things. The idea of having to go to church was onerous. The Bible was difficult and obscure, if not bizarre, and offensive. An archaic book of myths. And Christian values and beliefs were likewise old-fashioned and ill-informed. Evangelism was a dirty word, the same as proselytization, the arrogance of people who want to force their beliefs on others. But then, suddenly, miraculously, the born-again Christian, the regenerate person, is suddenly theophilic, God-loving, the exact opposite. We go from being highly allergic to God to being highly addicted to God. That's what regeneration is all about. Suddenly, we can't get enough of the Bible. Indeed, reading it every day in the expectation that it will be the most meaningful and clarifying thing that we do each day. Psalm 119 are us. Suddenly, it makes perfect sense 
that others who don't know Jesus need to know Jesus. And that indeed, evangelism is not a dear, dirty word, but it is the most compassionate and humane response to a hurting world that can be. And suddenly we actually want to hang out with other Christians, although they're still embarrassing. But we actually want to praise and worship the Lord. And we want to pray. Suddenly God is not distant and disinterested, but loving, personal, and powerful. And no longer will they teach their neighbor, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, declares the Lord, from the greatest to the least. Also, from our Old Testament readings, they have a new heart and a new spirit, and God's commandments and laws are, are, are written inside of them. I mean, I remember this myself, that suddenly I just knew I had a completely different understanding of many of the things going on around me. The born-again Christian has a new relationship with God's laws. They're written in our hearts. And we have a new relationship with sin, don't we? We see it differently. John writes, uh, 1 John 3, 9, No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. And that's not to suggest, of course, that born-again Christians never sin, but it does mean that we view and understand our sin differently. We have turned around from defiant rebellion. We are repentant, an idea which includes the notion of wanting to conform our opinions on everything to God's opinions on everything. That defiance and the arrogant self-rule that, that underlies sin is gone. John writes, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We experience in our daily lives the provision and protection and presence of, of, of Jesus our Savior in the power of the Holy Spirit. We, we know his protection. And significantly, we don't just see God differently, but we see other people differently as well, don't we? We have a heart of flesh, not of stone. We stop using people and loving things and start loving people and using things. John writes, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Concern for the poor especially is a manifestation of the regenerate heart. But whether it's neighbors, family, the family of faith, or the poor within each of those communities, our aim is to be loving and caring in real and practical ways. We've been given a new heart. Regeneration gives us not only a God's eye view of things, but God's power as well. We, we, we know God's power in our lives. We, we have the victory. Regeneration gives us the power by the Holy Spirit to overcome the pressures and temptations of the world that would otherwise lead us in continuing to disobey God and hurting the people around us. 
John writes, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. This victory is always through crucifixion in the sense of mortification, putting to death the old ways in order that we might clothe ourselves in the new ways. And this is something that we'll talk on more on another day when we consider sanctification. But indeed, Christians are born again in order to lead the victorious life. Yes, amen to that. As long as we understand that there's no crown without the cross, no victory without crucifixion. Well, that's plenty to think on already, isn't it? Um, as we take that in, uh, I'd now like to just direct some comments, some concluding comments towards three possible groups of people who might be hearing me this morning. Firstly, I'd like to offer some comments to anyone who knows that this is not them, who, who knows that they're not, that haven't been born again, that they don't believe in Jesus. I'd like to offer you some comments. Secondly, some comments to those who know this is them, that they are newly born again. And thirdly and lastly, some comments who, to people who remember this well, that they were born again perhaps many years or decades ago. Firstly, some comments to those of you for whom this might be quite alien. Perhaps you might, this morning, perhaps you might think on Nicodemus. Uh, who, we, who we met for the first time in our gospel reading today. When Nicodemus came to sit, speak to Jesus, he was completely in the dark. He knows that the miracles that Jesus is doing, they require an explanation, and that surely Jesus must be some kind of teacher sent by God. But Jesus' response is to tell him plainly that he can't have the vaguest clue who he is, except that God makes him alive spiritually, alive a second time. And that almost certainly did not happen for Nicodemus on that evening. Nicodemus arrives in the dark, and he goes home in the dark, not really getting it. But Five chapters later, we meet Nicodemus again, and this time he's standing up for Jesus in a city council meeting in front of a hostile group of religious leaders. He defends Jesus, warning them against making any conclusions that are hasty. Nicodemus is at that point, he's one of them, he's a Jewish religious leader rather than a disciple of Jesus, but something obviously is happening for this man. And 12, cha 12 chapters later, we meet Nicodemus for a third time. And amazingly, astonishingly, what he's doing now is he's, he's, he's working with his friend, Joseph of Arimathea, to, to care for the body of Jesus after he had been killed on a cross, looking to make sure he got a proper burial. And in context, that he was, those two guys were really sticking their heads out for Jesus. They're, in their actions, they're making a strong, clear, yet silent protest against the actions of their colleagues in working to have Jesus crucified. That's, that's, that was a work of faith, surely. 
So I think we can understand that somewhere in that long journey, the light came on for Nicodemus. may not happen overnight, but it will happen. He too was born again. So even if it feels like perhaps you're in the dark with respect to all this stuff that we keep on going on about, please feel encouraged to take your time, to take and read, to come and see, to ask questions, and to wait for good answers. Sometimes the process that I'm talking about can take a good long while because God is loving and patient. For those of you who know that you are born again and born again recently, well, in some ways, this series of sermons is for you. It's for all of us, perhaps especially for you. Indeed, it is for all of us, seeing that as when people ask us about our Christian faith, Christian faith. They usually start by asking us about our faith. Why do you believe? How did you become a Christian? And in response, in one way or another, we offer them our testimony. And uh, that's entirely biblical. There are lots of places in the Bible where where people uh, give their testimony as the way into explaining the gospel. Now, last week I explained that we all tend to read our own experiences back into the Bible. We all tend to do that. But just because it's happened to us doesn't mean that we understand the process. Just because we've been born, that doesn't qualify us as obstetricians. Just because we've been born again, that doesn't qualify us as spiritual midwives. We should all take the time to read and understand how the Bible explains the process of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Left to our own devices, and I've, I've heard this many, many times as I've listened to testimonies, and we sometimes hear when somebody gives their testimony that actually what they're doing is they're putting themselves up front, center, and um, they're talking about their decision and And really what they're saying is, let's talk about our decision and how we save ourselves by way of our saving decision to trust Jesus. Inadvertently, we are preaching a different gospel, a gospel of works, a gospel which says that the right way to save yourself is to give intellectual assent to the notion that Jesus is Lord. When Christians misunderstand the process, when we read our experiences back into the Bible without understanding the Bible's explanation for our experience, when we do that, we misrepresent the gospel. For each of us, our testimony is really about Christ's decision for me, not my decision for him. His work in my life, not my work for him. Jesus inviting me into his life, not me inviting him into mine. Anyone who delights in the honor and glory of God will consider it important to get this right. And finally, for those of us who are born again, but born again now these many years, perhaps decades ago, How did you feel 
when we went through that list of the manifestations of regeneration. Perhaps at certain points, you, like me, thought to yourself, oh, that's definitely how I used to be. It was easy, wasn't it, back in the day when we first came to Christ? It was easy to be passionate about serving the poor or getting into God's word or evangelizing friends and family. It was easy back then, but perhaps over the years we've, we've actually encountered the cost. We've, we've experienced the difficulties, the setbacks, the rejections, the discouragements, compassion fatigue, disappointment and the astonishing messiness of Christian community. Well, let's think on this. God gave us those things, those manifestations of rebirth, as precious gifts, things we did not deserve. But it is up to us to nurture them. We have survived life-saving surgery. And God has given us a new heart. But it is up to us to look after it, lest we succumb to heart disease after all. Let's hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. I know your deeds, your hard work and perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not and have found them false. You have persevered and you have endured hardships for my name and you have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. For us, remembering regeneration is a good way of remaining repentant. Do the things we did at first. So uh, let's, let's pray.